Hi, and welcome back to another installment of Getting to Know You. Today, it is my honor and pleasure to introduce to you Dr. Jeffrey Sugarman. He, is, he has received his undergraduate degree from UC Berkeley in neurobiology. He received an NIH medical scientist training grant and completed his MD and PhD in biomedical science at UC San Diego. He went on to complete his training as a pediatric dermatologist, first with a residency in pediatrics at the University of Washington Children's Hospital in Seattle, and then a dermatology residency at UC San Francisco. He is boarded in dermatology and in pediatric dermatology and is currently clinical professor in dermatology at UC San Francisco, as well as in private practice as the medical director of Redwood Family Dermatology in Sonoma County. He is a founding member of PEDRA and the immediate past president for the Society for Pediatric Dermatology. It is an honor to have you with me today, Dr. Sugarman. Thank you so much for having me. So as we get started, I'm hoping that you might be able to give everybody um, some background about you, how and why you decided pediatric dermatology was the right fit for you. Well, um, during medical school, I really became uh, attracted to the field of pediatrics and um, dermatology was not really on my radar back then. Um, I just really wanted to take care of kids. And I remember trying to learn everything I could even back in medical school and wound up starting a pediatric dermatology rotation at uh, UC San Diego. In fact, Larry Eichenfield and Sheila Friedlander uh, were there back then and um, <clears throat> they agreed to uh, allow me to rotate as a medical student. They had never had one before. And that was a really exciting month for me and my first introduction to pediatric dermatology. I still didn't really know that I could be a pediatric dermatologist back then. Um, there was no fellowship in pediatric dermatology and um, I went off to Seattle to do my pediatrics uh, residency and thought I would be a pediatric immunologist or may maybe a pediatric rheumatologist. And my very first year, I did an elective in pediatric immunology and there was, um, and uh, sorry, immunology and infectious disease. And there was a lot of overlap that month with Durham. And I just fell in love with Durham and mm -hmm. realized that a, a three-year residency in Durham after a three-year residency in pediatrics was really the same amount of time as doing a fellowship in pretty much any subspecialty in, in mm -hmm. peds. And so... I realized, well, that was what I wanted to do. And the hard part was applying and getting in, but um, luckily I matched uh, at my first choice at UCSF and, and started my Durham uh, residency there. And then how did you find your way to research? Well, uh, I've been interested and involved in research from the very beginning. Um, I uh, was fortunate enough to get an NIH training grant and I was in one of the early MSTP programs. Um, and so I got a PhD and an MD at UC San Diego. And so my whole uh, academic uh, grooming was really for uh, being a physician scientist. Mm -hmm. What areas do you like to focus on um, for research? 
Um, well, I've been interested in a long time in uh, atopic dermatitis, and I've been interested in genetic skin disease, in particular, mosaic genetic skin disease. Um, it's funny how things just happen to you and sort of shape your uh, trajectory, but I was asked to write a book chapter um, by Alona Frieden when I was in my second year of derm residency at UCSF. And um, the topic was epidermal nevus syndrome. And I just became fascinated with that disease area. And that really uh, sparked my interest in genetic skin disease. And I've been working on that ever since. And how, have, how has research changed in those areas throughout your career? Well, we just know so much more now. I mean, we have so much more granularity about genotype-phenotype correlation. Um, back in the 1990s and early 2000s, only a handful of genes were really uh, characterized that uh, were responsible for this phenotypic expression of genetic skin disease. And so we did a lot of guessing and we looked carefully at um, clinical features and try to group things and separate things on those bases. But as uh, sequencing technology became so much faster and so much cheaper and more accessible, we were able to really figure out what those mutations were. And that just gave us so much more insight into the genetic causes of the, those diseases and how the genes and the clinical features related to one another. And what were the implications of those revelations for patients? Uh, well, that's ongoing. I mean, I think uh, initially the implications were really more for uh, physicians and it helped us understand the diseases we were treating. Mm -hmm. For example, in epidermal nevus syndrome, we came to realize that the two big categories, nevus sebaceous and keratinic keratinocytic epidermal nevus were actually caused by the same mutation, but phenotypically look different depending on uh, how much relative sebaceous uh, material was involved. Either that, that was because it was in a area of the body with a lot, a large density of sebaceous glands, or for whatever reason, the mutations just affected uh, sebaceous uh, growth more than keratinocyte growth, um, but it was quite an amazing discovery to realize that for most cases, not all the very same mutations were responsible. Um, for that particular disease, uh, the effects on patient care have lagged because even though we know the genetics, we still don't have um, a smart uh, treatment for RAS mutations. Um, I'm sure it's coming. Um, but for other diseases, uh, once we understand the genotype, then um, developing targeted therapies around that um, just makes more sense and is more doable. Hmm. I want to come back to that and what the implications are for patients as it's, excuse me, not quite been realized yet. But firstly, um, I want to talk a little bit about what it was like um, being a founding member of PEDRA and what was really, what were the driving factors for getting this type of organization together and off the ground? Well, it had been sort of in the works um, for a number of years before PEDRA was actually formed. Um, 
myself, Amy Peller, and a number of others within the SPD realized that for our field really to advance into the 21st century, we needed a very robust uh, research arm and folks that were in our society and outside that were committed to research in pediatric dermatology. That's really how the field is moving forward and how it has to move forward. Mm -hmm. For decades, most of our research was clinical observational study mm -hmm. with some exceptions, but we really wanted, we saw the importance of uh, developing a much more systematic way to do research in our field, to move our field forward. And that started with research symposium symposia at the SPD meeting. In fact, I was the first organizer along with Amy Peller of those research uh, forums. And we did three, four in a row, right leading up to the foundation of PEDRA. So th those were sort of the, the antecedent steps that, that were taken. And then a small group of us formed PEDRA. There's a funny slide uh, of us sitting in a whiteboard trying to figure out what that acronym uh, should be. And um, I think Larry was the one who finally put all the letters together and he left the room and the picture was taken without him. Oh, no. um, so if we ever do show that, um, we've got to Photoshop him in because yeah, he was obviously a really integral part in that. Yeah. Um, and I served on PEDRA's executive board for three or four years mm -hmm. from its um, onset to just a couple years ago, I stepped off. I mean, the organization owes a major debt of gratitude to you and our other founding members for getting this incredible work off the ground and getting the network organized. It's really just even in my four short years with the organization, I have seen a lot of change and a lot of growth and a lot of research that yes. is really doing, it's achieving a great impact for our patients. And it's really exciting to kind of watch that in real time. Yes, absolutely. There's so much excitement and energy, especially from the younger investigators. It's just thrilling to see. It really is. And I love that you guys as the founding members really um, founded the network with the idea that it was paramount to make sure that early investigators had a place to call home within this network and mm -hmm. to nurture their research skills and to help them grow into like full-fledged principal investigators and leading research projects. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of PEDRA's most powerful tools is having this mentorship groundwork for all of our early investigators. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that's where our future is. That's where our energy is. And, um, you know, I, I participate in a lot of different organizations and I've really not encountered one that has so much energy and enthusiasm and work ethic among young people, young uh, physicians and young investigators. So it's just great to see. And it's really uh, makes me proud and it makes me really excited about the future. And speaking of future, where do you see research in the next five to 10 years? And what's Peter's role in that research? Well, um, I felt this way for quite a few years. I really feel that um, we've got a lot of pieces that are working great in Pedro right now. We've got really fine clinicians. I mean, mm -hmm. the best of the best. And what we're working on is bringing the, the scientific part, the, the, the 
the research, the basic research part up to that same level. And um, a lot of our superb clinicians simply just don't have the research training mm -hmm. that somebody might have that went through a PhD program, for example, mm -hmm. um, or did a postdoc. And so while more and more of our members are coming with research experience, we still want to give opportunities for uh, the younger members and, and mid-career members who maybe don't have that same formal training mm -hmm. to be able to either get that formal training or to collaborate on, you know, doing translational research with basic scientists. And so I think that uh, the way I envision Pedro's future is more collaboration with basic scientists who may actually have research questions that you might not think directly relate to pediatric dermatology, but they might be studying endothelial cells and there could be an amazing partnership with PEDRA members who are interested in hemangioma pathogenesis and to really get to that next step, we're collaborating with basic scientists that are studying endothelial cells that maybe never even knew that pediatric dermatology existed as a field. And there are so many little synergies like that. Mm -hmm. So I think I would like to see PEDRA cast its net wider in terms of collaboration um, with basic scientists and bringing them into the PEDRA fold. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think we, Pedro has proven that it takes a village to be successful in research, and we can only expect to be even more successful if we bring others into that village that we haven't worked with before. And so many of our investigators can benefit from working with those basic scientists, as you said, and, and the synergies really do make a lot of sense that we would yeah. be working together. Absolutely. So one thing, and that this will be our last question before I okay. let you go. Um, you know, you've had a very long and prolific career and you are a luminary in the field and a very important leader, but I also know you have a family. So I wondered if you could impart some wisdom on what it means to you to have work-life balance and how you've achieved that. Uh, well, that's a, a big question. And um just when I think things are in balance, <laughs> I turn the corner and things are out of balance again. So it's not one thing, but it's a, it's a mind mindset that you have to really work on that because it's not going to just happen. Um, I did things a little differently than most people. Um, I decided not to have a career in traditional academia. Mm -hmm. And although I've kept the hours of a traditional academic, and made time, force myself to schedule in research, writing, teaching. Um, I think the problems that people have that are doing a traditional academic career is that there's just so many constraints on your time that it's just hard to protect yourself. And so um, my advice would be to try to protect your, um, limit the amount of clinical uh, responsibility that you have signed up for. Mm -hmm. So you have more time to do your research and more flexible time for family and things outside of acad academics. For me, it was a little bit of the opposite. I had to, I had a busy private practice that I was running and mm -hmm. um, 
lots and lots of moving parts. I had to schedule in research time <laughs> and to make sure that I was still living up to what I wanted to live up to. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really viable way to go about having um, an academic career, um, but you have to really actively work hard to do that. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so what I've done in the last five to eight years is I've really tried to limit my clinical time. Mm-hmm. So I have more time for the questions that I really wanna address and answer and more time, more flex time for myself and my hobbies and for my family. Yeah, so yep, work-life balance is really just an evolution and it changes yeah. and it's something like you mentioned, you just have to really work at it. Every day. Every yeah. day, absolutely. Thank you so much for being with me today on Getting to Know You, Dr. Sugarman. It has been Thank a you. pleasure talking with you. It's really my pleasure. Thank you for having me. A big thank you to Dr. Sugarman for joining me today. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. You can enjoy more episodes by checking us out in the PEDRA app. Uh, If you don't have that app yet, you can go to Google Play or iTunes and download PEDRA. You can also find more of us online at www.pedraresearch.org. And you can find us on Twitter at PEDRA Research.